right, good morning, New Heights. How's everybody doing? Good, awesome. Well, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter four, and we are gonna pick up in our study of the Gospel of John where we left off last week. We're gonna begin this morning, John chapter four and verse 43. So if you're there, let's read it together. After two days, he left for Galilee. So this, this verse here is really a transitional statement to let us know that Jesus is coming from where he was doing ministry in Samaria to what is coming next. And last week, if you missed it, you should listen to it. Go online. Lee Epstein gave us an incredible teach about Jesus' encounter with a woman in Samaria at Jacob's well. And because of her testimony and also them hearing the words of Jesus for themselves, revival breaks out in the most unexpected of places, Samaria, which was crazy because the Jews considered the Samaritans to be idolaters. They, they thought of the Samaritans as, as people who corrupted uh, the true uh, teaching of Jehovah. And, and so uh, what happens here in Samaria is incredible. The least likely group is incredibly responsive to Jesus. And when I was just kind of studying and preparing for this, it just made me think about different revivals that have happened in history in some of the most unexpected places. How many of you were alive during the late 60s, early 70s, during the Jesus revival? Anybody here? And, and this is when burned out hippies flocked to Jesus. Uh, it was revival in the most unexpected of places. Revival still happens today. Amen? We need to pray for it. Pray for revival. Verse 43 tells us, though, that Jesus doesn't linger in Samaria. Now, if I was Jesus and I had had that type of ministry impact, you know what I would have done? I would have stayed in Samaria and planted the first church of Jesus, right? And that's where I would have retired. Uh, but that's, that's not what Jesus does. He, he spends two days with them and then he moves on. Why? Because the Father has told him to go. And this is the way of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you see, and, and Jesus says this in different places. He says, I only say what I hear the Father saying, and I only do what I see the Father doing. So Jesus goes where the Father goes. And this is how it's supposed to be for us as his apprentices, his disciples, right? That, that we follow the way of Jesus, and we go where the Father leads us to go. Now, now, some of you may know my story of how I got here to New Heights. A lot of you probably don't. Uh, but if you don't know it, I, so I was leading a, a really uh, great ministry in Kansas City. It was growing, a ministry that I'd started. And the Lord uh, spoke to me very clearly over a series of months and said, Kevin, I want you to hand off the leadership of that ministry to someone else. And I want you to sell the home that you love. <laughs> I loved my house in Kansas City, but the Lord's like, sell the house and move to Fayetteville, Arkansas and go on staff with this church where you know nobody. <laughs> I didn't know anybody at New Heights. And, and so as we were preparing to go, a family member uh, had a conversation with us and said, why exactly are you guys moving to Fayetteville? Like, have you checked out the schools there? Are the schools good? You know, how's the housing market? And I was like, I don't know anything about those things, but what we do know is that God has told us to go. And so we went. And here we are 12 years later, 
at New Heights, and this seriously has been one of the most beautiful seasons of my life. So back to Jesus here. He goes where the Father leads him. He follows his guidance, and then, so here's, here's kind of what Jesus' route has been. He's been in Judea doing ministry, and people were open to him there. He comes to Samaria, where people are really open to him, but then what he does is he bypasses Nazareth, the town where he went to high school, right? And he, and he heads up kind of northwest over towards Galilee, and verse 44 indicates something to us. Apparently, his hometown, Nazareth, Nazareth, was not open to him. It says, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And here's the reality. I think this is a reality for a lot of us, is that sometimes it is hard to witness in your hometown. Have you ever experienced that, particularly with your family members? I know for me, uh, I wanted to share my newfound faith in Jesus that I was so excited about. I'm like 19 years old. I'm following Jesus. I've been a pagan before that. And now my life has changed and I go to my sister and I go to my mom and I'm like, you guys, I got to tell you about Jesus. And they were not really open at all. It didn't go very well. My sister was polite. She listened. My mom, eh, not, not so much. So I started to pray and I prayed for them a lot like a lot, a lot, and months went by, and then one Friday night, I got a phone call, and it was my sister, and apparently she had been out partying with some of her friends at this popular hangout place, and there was a youth group that was actually on the street talking to people about the gospel, and my sister calls me, and she's like, Kevin, I just want to let you know that I just prayed with this youth group to give my heart to Jesus, and she's still following him faithfully today. So, and, and then a couple of years later, my mom actually uh, came to faith in Jesus. It's an incredible story, but I don't have time to tell that one. But it, I know, I know, it doesn't always happen like that with our family members, right? But sometimes it does. So keep praying. And here's something that may encourage you. It encourages me. Did you know that Jesus' very own brothers did not believe in him while he was alive? They didn't believe in him when he was alive the first time. But after Jesus came back to life, his brothers suddenly believe. And you guys, and, and, and here's the thing, though. This is Jesus, and his own brothers didn't believe in him, okay? So let that encourage you about your family. Uh, but what I love, this is actually one of, for me, the most convincing, powerful arguments for the proof of the resurrection, that it actually happened, and that unbelieving brothers suddenly believe. And because they saw the resurrection of their brother. Here's a fun fact. So James, the guy who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, he was one of Jesus' brothers who didn't believe and then came to believe. He became the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem after he saw his brother raised from the dead. Just fun fact. Okay, let's keep going. So Jesus bypasses his hometown and he heads to Galilee. Now let's read verses 45 and the first part of verse 46. So when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. So these Galileans, some of them apparently had been in Jerusalem. They'd seen Jesus doing miracles, signs, and wonders. But what I want to do is I want to emphasize that word seen. It says that they had seen the things that he had been doing in Jerusalem. And so 
I think this little word seen is important because for them, seeing was believing. And, and I think that when Jesus comes to Cana, they're just hoping to see something else. It's just like, come on, Jesus, show us something else that is amazing. And, and, and I was thinking about that. It just reminds me of this little clip from the animated superhero movie, The Incredibles. Well, what are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. <laughs> okay. So it's like Jesus comes to Cana, and all the people are like, Jesus is here, and we're hoping to see something amazing, I guess. And so you got to remember, this town, Cana, is where Jesus did that miracle of turning water into wine. And I believe that like word of that just had spread all over town, because think about this. You would have like gone crazy and spread the word if you were paying for that wedding reception. Like if you were paying for it and halfway through the party, you run out of wine and you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, like hundreds of bottles worth of fine wine just show up, right? You would have gotten to the bottom of where those came from and, and you would have just talked about it all over town. So, so Jesus comes to Canaan and I believe crowds are starting to form around him probably most of them are hoping to see him perform some more razzle-dazzle, right? Some more, some more signs and wonders. So that's kind of the backdrop of our story today. Now let's get to the heart of it. John chapter 4, verse is 46, the last part. So there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Capernaum was about 20 miles away from Cana. And so John tells us just a little bit uh, about who this guy was, because we need to understand this. Who was this official? This is important, very important detail. Who was he? So what John tells us is that, that this guy uh, was, well, the NIV translates the Greek word here and says that he was a royal official, but really a better translation uh, is that he was, uh, uh, he was the king's man. So either a king or, or the king's man. So this guy, this official, he's connected to royalty, uh, most likely, he was the right-hand man of King Herod the Tetrarch, and most likely, he had been appointed to that position by Rome. So this guy is a big deal. He's a very, very big deal. And so I want you to picture this scene. Here you've got an under-king coming to a carpenter. That's, that's really, really incredible. And verse 47 tells us this. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. And what we're going to see in this story is that Jesus is the master over life and death. And so before I dive into the details, I want to point something out. This is a healing story, but it's more than just a healing story. It really is a faith story. It's a lesson for us this morning about faith. And what we're going to see before we're done this morning is five aspects of faith that, that this, this official, this royal official experienced and went through. The first is this, that faith grows. Faith grows. It, I like to say that faith is like a muscle, right? The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And the opposite is also true. You don't exercise faith. You don't use your faith. It weakens. It stays weak. So 
at the beginning of our story, this royal official, I think he's got a small seed of faith. He's got a small seed of faith because probably what he's done is he's heard somebody talking about this Jesus guy, probably talking about what had happened in Cana with the wine or maybe in Jerusalem with the things that happened there. And this was the beginning. This small seed is the beginning of his journey of faith. And maybe that's where your journey started. Maybe that's where you are today as you're sitting here, is that you've got this small seed of faith because somebody whether it was a family member or it was a coworker or a friend or a roommate, somebody shared with you or showed you something about what Jesus has done in, you, in, in their life. And so, so you're on a journey now towards Jesus, just like our official is. You're walking that road towards Jesus, hoping that he can do something like that for you. So faith starts small, but faith is like a snowball rolling downhill, right? It grows as, as it goes. So now let's enter into this scene of this story. I want you just to imagine with me. Imagine this guy. So he's probably very nicely dressed. He's highly educated, and he's powerful. He has servants. Like, and he tells people, you do this, and they do it. But what does our royal official do? He doesn't send a servant to fetch Jesus. What he does is he goes personally. He walks 20 miles. It's, it's mostly uphill from Capernaum to Cana. He walks uphill or he rides his horse, but he makes that journey 20 miles to find Jesus. Let me ask, what will you do to seek Jesus? What will you do to seek Jesus? Because this was inconvenient for this man. It was humbling. It might have been embarrassing. But he is on a mission to seek Jesus. What, what inconveniences maybe do you need to push past to connect with God? And so, so this royal official, he heads out to find this man who is literally his last and only hope because he's probably, he's probably you know, had the finest of doctors, physicians. They've tried everything, and, and their boy is dying. And so he's desperate. And he arrives in Cana, and he finds Jesus. There's a crowd around Jesus. And, and so they're probably hoping to see some kind of miracle. So here comes this, this high official. And just picture it. He's wearing Roman clothes. And he, and he comes up to Jesus. But here's the thing. He's not pulling rank. He's not demanding of Jesus. You know what he's probably doing? He's probably getting down on his knees. And he's crying out. And he's saying, Jesus, please help me. He's pleading and this would have caused quite a stir. Just imagine, people would just be like, oh my gosh, look at this. Look at, this is that guy. Look, look what he's doing here. But you know what? You and I would have done the same thing if it, it was your kid, right? If it was your kid, you just, you do whatever you have to do. And I believe that Jesus already knew what he was gonna do for this guy. But Jesus also, I believe, knew that surrounding him in the crowd were people who would only believe if they saw something. And just like it was then, I believe it still is today. There's lots and lots of people in our world. I'm sure you know people like this. They go, okay, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus if. I'll believe in Jesus if. If he gets me out of this mess that I'm in. If he, he saves my marriage. If, if I, you know, get that promotion or that big contract, you know, I threw up a prayer. If he does that, I'll believe in him. 
you know, or, you know, if I'm a student, I pray about the test, I get an A, whatever it is, fill in the blank. People go, I'll believe in Jesus if. And that's what I call conditional faith. Conditional faith. And I think that that's what the people in the crowd, a lot of them had. I think it's the same for people uh, today. It's this reality. For, for many, seeing is believing. Now, here's the thing. Did Jesus sometimes in the Gospels do signs and wonders so that people would initially believe in him? Say yes. Okay, he would. He would do that. But there's a story John chapter 20, we're going to get there eventually, maybe like a year from now as we go through John, we're going to get to John 20. And it's the story of Thomas, who we affectionately call Doubting Thomas. Remember this story? And, it, and literally, he had this, this attitude, I'm not going to believe unless I see Jesus myself and I touch his you know, nail-scarred hands and I'm, I'm not going to believe. What does Jesus do for him? He shows up. He says, Thomas, here I am. He literally just appears in the room. And he's like, touch me, see me. I'm real. And Thomas falls on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And so sometimes, yes, Jesus knows when we need to see something, but Jesus says something very powerful to us. In John 20, 29, he says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. Amen. There's a blessing. There's a power. There's something that is so important. We're going to talk about it this morning. Faith is so important to God, and it's important for us. Because remember, Jesus has just done this, this, this lesson with this woman in Samaria, and he says the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. He's looking for those who will believe in him for who he is and also because what he says is true. He's looking for those types of believers, those types of worshipers, not, not just for those of, uh, you know, who go, well, I'm just going to follow God basically for what he's, he has done, or maybe I won't follow him because of what he hasn't done for me this week. And this begs the question, am I a conditional faith person? Will I believe in God and follow him only if he does this or that for me? We just have to examine the quality of our faith here this morning. Now back to the text. So Jesus, he looks at this man, this royal official, and he says this in verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Unless you see something, you're not going to believe. And, and this word you here, though, when he says you, he's not just talking to the official. It's plural. It means you all, right? Okay, this is Arkansas, right? So it means all y'all right? All y'all, if you don't, you know, see something, you'll never believe. And here's the thing, you guys. I believe that Jesus is testing this official's faith here, but I also very much believe that he's addressing the crowd around him because John records earlier in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, that, that these people in Jerusalem, they'd seen all these signs and seen all these wonders, but it says this, Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. And, and so John writes that, that, that they, they wanted signs, but did they really want him? Did they really want him? And Jesus also knew that people who believe only because they've seen signs and wonders inevitably fall away when their last wish is not met. 
Or when they go long periods of time and they haven't seen some new sign and wonder, they fall away. And how do I know this? Well, just read the Old Testament, okay? Read the Old Testament. Think about Israel. God showed them miracle after miracle after miracle, bringing them out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea for crying out loud. There's a pillar of fire and cloud and water from a rock and manna and quail and all these things. And, and, and yet what you see in them is that as soon as the next challenge came and God didn't immediately grant their wish, what happened? He doesn't immediately just grant their wish. They throw up their hands and they go, well, God must not care about us or love us. Or they go, he must not exist at all. Let's worship a calf. Crazy. And this has been going on for thousands of years. Atheism is the inevitable result of those who hold God hostage to their requests and desired outcomes. They're holding God hostage and they're saying, okay, I'm going to believe in you, but if, but if you don't do things just the way I want you to do it, I'm out. And you guys, I, this isn't just theoretical. Sadly, people who I have known and people who I have loved, I've watched them walk away from Jesus because, because he hasn't done things the way they thought they should be done. I've seen it happen. It breaks my heart. Verse 48, Jesus isn't just admonishing this official. He's admonishing those who wrongly crave signs. And what I believe here with this official is that Jesus is trying to draw faith out of him. This, this really is a faith story. He's drawing it out, but, but here's the thing. This desperate father doesn't immediately get a yes answer from Jesus. Actually, what he gets is he gets sort of a lesson on faith instead of Jesus saying, yeah, I'll come heal your son. And so what's up with that? Have you ever been in a situation, I know I have plenty of them, where like I've got a desperate need and I'm crying out to God and it seems like he doesn't show up until the last second. Anybody with me on that? It's like he doesn't just come rushing in. What's up with that? Why does God do that? Well, I think that there's a number of reasons. Like, like with my kids, if every, t you know, it's like, do I just immediately, every request that they make, do, do I just bend over backwards just to immediately grant their every little heart's desire? What if I did that? What if I just, every time there was a little request or a big request, it's like, oh man, I'm on it, I'm doing it, that's it, no questions asked, and what would happen? What would happen in my relationship with my kids? What would happen in my kids? Would they start to, at some point, just come to expect it and just go, yep, anytime I want something, it's just gonna happen, it's gonna happen this way, and that's gonna be it? And at a certain point, would they cease to appreciate my provision in their lives? Would they just start to see me as some kind of big Santa Claus? Say yes. They would. Us having to wait on God at times is a good thing, amen? It's a good thing, and the Bible is full of, of, of encouragement to us that waiting patiently on God is a good thing. How is it a good thing? Because it's an opportunity for us to work out our faith muscles, right? Having to wait. But also, you know what else it produces having to wait on God? It produces gratitude and it produces dependency in us. And that posture of dependency on us is so important. I like to think of dependency as like one of the incredible keys of the kingdom. It locks, unlocks all the best stuff from God. 
an attitude of dependency because what it does is a dependent heart just stays close to God. And God is the, he's the, like a river of life. And when I'm dependent on him and I'm close to him, uh, that just that life just flows into my soul continuously. And that's what God wants. And so what happens with this guy? Does he just, you know, like give up? Jesus hasn't said yes. He gives this faith lesson. Says you guys won't believe unless you see signs. Does, does our royal official try to bargain or manipulate or will he hold on tightly to that little seed of faith that he's got? Let's, let's look at it. Verse 49, chapter four. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Come down, Jesus. So he cries out one more time. He refuses to be discouraged. He's not giving up. And this is the second aspect of faith that we see in this man's journey. It's that faith perseveres. It perseveres. And this, this, this kind of faith that I see in this story, it reminds me of the kind of faith and asking that Jesus commends in Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 about this widow lady. And, and she's got this request. She goes to this judge. And she's like, would you please like settle this thing for me, give me justice. And she just asks and she asks and she asks and she doesn't give up. And, and the point of it all in Luke 18, one, Jesus, he says this, he says, we should always pray and not give up. And I see this in this royal official today. And now I want to here, before we move on, I wanna to speak to something here in the text. It's easy to miss in this uh, second request of the official and what Jesus does next. And I want you to see verse 49 again. Listen to the request. The, the official says, sir, come down before my child dies. Do you see it? This official has already made up his mind what needed to happen for his child to be healed. What, what is he thinking? It's, it's this, that his, his belief is that Jesus needs to follow him back to his house, be on location, and perform the miracle in person, right? Do you see that? He's like, you gotta come down. Come, come down to my house. So the, the guy, he just assumes this. This is how Jesus is going to answer. And do we ever do this, y'all? Do we ever give instructions to God like he needs them, Right? Like we want to help God out, like to let him know what he should be doing because he doesn't quite get it, right? We do this sometimes. As a young believer, I know that I had a real lesson in this. I, as a young believer, I'd only been a Christian about a year and I faced a fiery trial that was, I think it's the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And I found myself just in constant prayer about it, just continually praying and crying out to God. I had all my friends uh, joining me. I had my whole church praying with me, and all of us knew what God needed to do. <laughs> we all knew what answered prayer should look like. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. Let me just pause and say this. I believe that it's okay for you to express your heart's desire to God and ask him to be quick about it. <laughs> did David do that in the Psalms? Yes, he did. A lot. He's like, God, please, this, that, please. And could you just hurry up? I, I think it's okay to do that. But, but here's the thing, you guys. Like that difficult situation that I went through, did it work out? Did God's answer come in the way that we all wanted him to do it? No, it actually didn't. It didn't. 
And what happened is that God did answer our prayers. He just didn't do it in the way that we expected or the way that we wanted. And so what I experienced is I experienced the closing of a career door. And it was very, very painful for me at the time. But that closed door put me on a completely different path for my life, the path of ministry that I'm still on today. God did answer. And so I, though, had to learn I can request God, I can wait patiently for him, but I have to surrender the outcomes to him. That's the third aspect of faith here in this story, is that faith surrenders. It asks, it keeps on asking, but it surrenders the outcomes to God. And what comes next in this story is, I love this, Jesus just glides right past this guy's limited faith perspective. <laughs> he just glides right past it, and he actually takes it up a notch, a few notches, actually. Check out what Jesus uh, says to him, the, the first part of verse 50. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Just tells him that. So he, he throws him a curveball, right? This guy's he's like, you gotta come to my house. Jesus' like, no, just go. And, and your son will live. Now, could Jesus have easy, easily have traveled down to Capernaum and done this in person? For sure, he could have. Is it me or is Jesus very committed to drawing faith out of this guy? <laughs> he is, he is, he's going after this guy's faith. He's basically saying, Jesus is saying, go believe my words, believe my promise, your son will live. And I believe this is the pinnacle moment in this story. What will this guy do? What's going to be his response? He's got a choice right now. It's like, okay, am I going to stand here and argue? Am I, am I going to ask for a sign? Okay, like, Jesus, could you make it rain or something, like, right now, so that, you know, do that so that, that I know it's going to work out the way that, that you told me so that I can believe? Could you give me, like, a sign or something? What's he do? Does he just head for home, simply believing that because Jesus said it, it'll be so? Let's look. Last part of verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word, took him at his word, and he departed. And this is the fourth aspect of faith that we see in this story is that faith acts. Faith acts. And I think, can you just, just emotionally imagine this guy whose son is dying, could die any minute, any hour, he just Here's Jesus say go, and he, and he does it. He, he just heads back that 20 miles with the only, the only peace and assurance he has in his heart is that, that this man, Jesus, said it's going to happen. But that was enough to comfort his heart. He did it. He went down that road because faith isn't just a feeling. Faith is an action. It's an action. And this is the real takeaway in this story is that this man believes before he sees, before he sees. And my friends, this is a picture of true biblical faith. We believe what our Lord says and we act on it regardless of what we, we feel, regardless of what we see. We walk by faith and not by sight as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 exhorts us. And this is what Hebrews 11, what, what is considered to be the great hall of faith, like chapter of, of the New Testament, Hebrews 11. This is, is what is celebrated, this type of faith that believes before it sees, 
And it tells stories of Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so many others who acted in faith before they saw. And Hebrews 11, the writer in verse one, he actually defines faith for us. He he defines it this way. He says, now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. We're hoping for things, but, but we're assured in our heart. It's the conviction of things that are not seen. And so to to have a vibrant, dynamic life in Christ, we need to take Jesus at his word and act on everything he has said. Amen? That is the vibrant life that we are invited into as believers. And we need to stop seeing belief as just, I, I mentally agree with Jesus. For some of us, that's as far as our faith goes. It's like, I I agree with Jesus. Is that enough? Is that what the Bible calls true faith? It it, it doesn't, actually. We're going to look at this. Um, Here's the thing, though. Do I need to believe certain facts about him in order to enter into his kingdom? Do I need to, to believe and agree and go, yes, I believe that he was the son of God. He is. I believe in his deity. I believe in his resurrection. I believe in his death on a cross. Do we need to believe in those certain facts about him? Say, yes, we do. We do. But faith that just resides in my head and doesn't affect my daily, weekly choices is not how the Bible defines faith and belief. James chapter 2, verse 19, tells us that the demons believe that there's one God. The demons have an intellectual understanding that there is just one God, but does that mean that the demons are Christians? No, that's absurd. And and so here's the thing. James, in his letter, he makes it clear that real biblical saving faith in Jesus will show itself to be genuine faith by the life a person lives. You'll you'll see it in their life, in the quality of their life. They don't just believe in Jesus, they buy life, Jesus. That was clever, you guys. Did you catch that? They don't just believe in Jesus, they buy life, Jesus. Believe, buy life. I thought that was was clever. Okay. Uh, All right. Last aspect of faith that that we're going to see in the official's journey is that faith spreads. This is the beautiful thing about people who walk in faith and exercise faith is that it spreads and it affects other people. Let's read our last verses of my assigned text this morning, verses 51 through 54. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Like he's on his way and then they come. Could you just imagine that moment? And he inquires as to the time when his son got better. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. I mean, like just split second timing there. I love it when God does that. So this is where faith spreads. Check it out. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So let me just say this, that your faith in Jesus isn't just about you. It is. But, but just like my faith in Jesus affected my sister, 
affected my mom, just like the faith of the Samaritan woman and her testimony affected her town, just like this official's faith affected his entire family, your faith affects those who are around you, even if you can't see it. Stuff is stirring. Stuff is moving. And, and I want to share something with you. Uh, it's a really interesting thing that Luke records in his gospel, and I, I just can touch on it. But this is so cool. Luke, in his gospel, tells us that there was this group of influential women. They were wealthy, and they followed Jesus around, and they helped to financially support his ministry. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, we read that one of the women, her name was Joanna, the wife of Cusa, one of King Herod's officials. Do you see it? It is highly likely that Joanna was the mother of that little boy that Jesus healed. Highly likely. And so when Jesus travels to Capernaum and he gives the invitation and he says to people in that town, come and follow me, that's exactly what she did. Amen? I just think it's so cool. All right. I've got one last thing that I, I want to uh, share with you this morning as we, as we prepare to wrap up and move into our ministry time. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Our, faith, our story today, it is a faith story, but it's actually a, it, it is a healing story, one of many that's coming in John's gospel. And I think that we need to hear more stories like this of actually things that happen in our little corner of the kingdom here at New Heights. And so I'm going to ask at this time, is Maddie Jacobs here? Okay, uh, Maddie, come on up. And so as Maddie's coming, I'll tell you a little bit about her. So I got to know Maddie when she was doing her undergrad at Arkansas. She went through our school of ministry, and now she's on staff with us. She works in our children's ministry, and she's killing it. She is. She's killing it. And yes, she is. Yes. And so she's got a story of how faith spreads. And, and I just want, I want Maddie, just tell us, like, like what happened? Yeah. Yeah, so like Kevin said, my name's Maddie. I feel honored that I get to tell y'all um, about a story that happened in October. Um, so one Sunday morning, I woke up in the worst pain that I'd ever been in my entire life. Um, if you know me, I am dramatic, but I was not being dramatic this morning. Um, I was sweating, I had a fever, and I just knew something was wrong. And so I told Charity that I wasn't gonna be able to make it um, to church that morning. And so I went back to sleep, woke up still in the most pain that I've ever been in. Um, and so I decided to go to urgent care. And then when I went to urgent care, I found out that I had not one, but two kidney stones, which is horrible. If you've ever had them, you know that they are um, a monster. They hurt so bad. Um, and so I was able to pass the first one. And then when I went back in um, to do a checkup, um, the second one was worrying my doctors because it wasn't moving. And if the kidney stone doesn't move, there can be a lot of problems that um, come after that, like infection or kidney failure, <laughs> which would be really bad. Um, and so basically I went in one Friday and they said, if it doesn't move by the next Friday, I would have to get surgery, um, which was really scary and terrifying. And so basically I'm like telling everyone on staff, like they all know they're praying. My Bible study girls are praying. My mom's Bible study is praying um, in Bentonville and just like random people that are finding out that this 23-year-old girl <laughs> has kidney stones. Um, and so I just knew so many people were praying. So I went in um, October 6th um, to the doctor 
and my nurse came in and she did an ultrasound and the kidney stone was still there. It was stuck in the same spot. And so she told me the unfortunate news that I was probably gonna have to get surgery. Um, so she went and got my doctor and my doctor came in. He proceeded to pick up the ultrasound wand and he also saw the kidney stone. I looked at it. He started talking about it with the nurse. He started writing things down, typing things up. He sets the wand down while he's doing all that. And then when he's done, he picks the wand back up, puts it back on my stomach, and he's silent. And he's just like, that's, like, he, he's like, hmm, that, okay. So he looks at the nurse, and he's like, hey, can, can you and I go out for a second? And I'm, I'm thinking, worst case scenario, I'm like, did they just find, like, five more? Like, I'm like... <laughs> This is so bad. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like calling my mom. I'm like, they just walked out of the, I, and I know you're not supposed to be on your phone, but I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so I call my mom and she's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So I hang up and they come back in and my doctor's like, Maddie, we don't know what to tell you, but your kidney stone is gone. <laughs> like disappeared. And he was just like, because we had seen it twice that morning. That's the crazy thing. The nurse had done an ultrasound. He had also done another ultrasound. And on the third ultrasound, it was just gone. And so they were like, come back Monday because we'll do x-rays and we'll do another ultrasound. And I'm like crying and I'm like, nope, God healed me. Like, I don't even need to come back. And I was just like on cloud nine. And that was the initial like emotion that I had. I was like on cloud nine, like I was like texting my close friends and calling my family members and I was telling them. And then quickly it turned into guilt almost of like, why? I mean like the kidney stones were bad, don't get me wrong. If you ever had them, you know. But it's like, I've prayed for so long for people who have had cancer or chronic illnesses that will never be cured. And it, there was like a, yeah, this feeling of guilt that started to set in. Um, but quickly, um, the Lord started showing me why he did this. And I, I still don't fully, I, I don't understand, will never really understand why he heals some people and why he does. But I do know that God does what glorifies him the most. And I started like having these interactions with people like Marcia Kane. She had um, a vision actually when she was praying for me that she held like a magnet over my stomach and it like lifted the kidney stone out. And so she told me the same day that she had that vision, which was amazing. Then that night, I went to this woman's conference at another church and randomly a woman in my mom's Bible study was there with her daughter. And we got to like tell her right there, like, thank you for praying for me. Like God healed me today, actually. And so that was like the coolest thing ever. And so like what Kevin was saying, I, st I like, I don't understand it. I feel so honored. I mean, I was a vehicle in God strengthening people's faith because I don't deserve, I didn't deserve to be healed at all. And I didn't deserve to have this story to tell, but I feel so honored and extremely humbled. Um, and it's just been the coolest thing ever watching like people's faith grow. And even in your family, you told me like your yes. family, people, <laughs> their faith is growing and it's spreading and Oh yeah, my yeah, my family. I grew up in um, a really small Baptist church, and so uh, just a little different than the way I grew up and the beliefs that I had. And 
Um, even some of my family was just a little like apprehensive of that. Just like, but now they like, they love telling people, they're like, oh yeah, our daughter, like, yeah, God healed her. Oh, it's so cool. It's awesome. awesome. All right. Let's give Maddie a hand. Thank you so much. Praise God. Praise God. Mm. Wow. So faith spreads. So, so encouraging. All right. We're going to move into our ministry time here in just a second. Uh, as we do, I just want to just ask, how are you doing this morning as you reflect on this encounter uh, with Jesus? And um, maybe you're here this morning and you've got a burning need, just like this official did. And you're coming to Jesus and you're going, Jesus, please, please come to my house. Come to my need, but it maybe feels like he's not coming. So what do you do? I want to encourage you, just like Jesus says, Continue to pray and don't give up. Continue to pour out your heart and your desires to him and know that he sees you, know that he hears you, know that he loves you and he loves those you love. But we also need to take him at his word that the father, Jesus said, my father's always working. He's always working. And so we need to trust that our heavenly father He's working. He's working in your situations for your good. He promises that. We can hold on to that promise. Even if we can't see, we can hold on to that promise that good is there. It's coming. But that he's also working. But we have to go, God, you are God. And you know what's best. You always know what's best. As our prayer teams come up and just kind of come around the room here. Um, so at New Heights, if you're new to New Heights, this is what we call our ministry time where you can come and get prayer if you want. You can, if you have one of those needs and you want somebody to agree with you, kind of to join their faith with your faith uh, and to pray, uh, we believe in prayer here. And we also usually have a couple of elders that will hang out over to my right that will they'll anoint you with oil if you want prayer for healing in your body this morning. So if that's something you need, uh, come and get prayer from, from the elders and um, also, there's communion that is going to be around. It's around the room. If you, uh, I encourage you just to take some time to celebrate Jesus, express your gratitude, your dependency on him through communion. But before we get to our ministry time, we've got uh, something else that's really special. We've got some baptisms. And so I'm going to hand it over to Brad here.